1: Please enjoy this revisit of a popular
3: earlier episode. A Living History Production I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain.
1: And together we're Pete
3: Pete and Gary's Gary's Military History History Podcast. Hello, 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 and uh, welcome once more. I'm here with the... Rather attractive-looking, Peter Hart.
1: I am lovely,
3: and I'm Gary Bain. And uh, what are we doing today, Pete? We're doing
1: a Night Attack on the Somme, fourteenth of July, nineteen sixteen. Why? <laughs> well, because it's part of a series on on the Somme. Uh, we 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 we, uh, we did our, our episodes on the planning, the preparation on the first of July. But do you know what? for all that pain and suffering, all the dreadful nature of the attack on the 1st of July, they were never going to stop the offensive then. People always say, why, why did they carry on? Well, they don't really have any choice. Why don't, why don't they have a choice, Gary?
3: Well, it's the Battle of the Somme is the major allied offensive of 1916 and, and it's too important to set aside or be evaded because of, the, let's face it, dreadful casualties. They were dreadful, yeah. And the French were still suffering at Verdun. Yeah.
1: And, and and to be honest, the, the armies of France and, and Russia, they've been slaughtered time and time again um, for, for two years by this time. And and just because Britain's new armies get, get a very, let's be clear, a very bloody nose on the 1st of July, they're not going to be that sympathetic if Britain then tries to sort of duck out uh, and say, oh, it's too painful, well, let's do something else. Uh, and as you said, Verdun's not gone away. Um, um, Germany's, Germany's still, still
3: yeah, still still in the still, still strong. strong. Yeah,
1: the the, the Somme offensive is only just beginning on the first of July.
3: Now, what happened at the, the end of the first day, Pete? What what's the situation? Well,
1: they've they've, they've gained ground in the south. The Tell had... me
3: the history, Pete. No. they they, they gained some
1: ground in the south and the french had done well on on the first half and forgotten and we will later on have a a podcast on the french uh, on the song um but a lot of the tactically significant features are still a considerable distance ahead of them they haven't taken the german second line system they've taken the german first line this is where they're successful they've taken the german first line system but they haven't taken the German second-line system. And in the north, they haven't even taken the first-line system. They haven't taken anything. Um, and this means uh, that the, 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 uh, the attack on Tepval Ridge, on the Poziers Ridge, it's utterly failed. Now, what would the Germans say this was?
3: Let's face it, If had they been successful there, it would have provided vital observation over large sections of the German defensive system and thus destabilised the whole German line in the Somme.
1: So what would they call it?
3: That, succinctly put, they'd call it a, a failure because where it mattered uh, and succeeded was where it was tactically irrelevant. They'd call it the Schwerpunkt. Oh, sorry, you're asking, the Schwerpunkt
1: and that is jack sheldon's thinking on this that uh, to them they'd identify this as a crucial point and, and we had got nowhere facing that and this, this leads a really terrible problem uh the, the losses that they'd suffered in the attack on, on, on tietval ridge uh should they bash their heads against a brick wall and try again um or, or should they attack where they'd succeeded and rawlinson uh, what's what's Rawlinson? Well, he's
3: inclined to grasp the ball by the yeah. uh, metaphorical yeah. horns and, and to batter down the continued resistance to the north before turning to exploit the success gained in the south. Now, you're going to be General Sir Henry Rawlinson of Headquarters Fourth Army, right? Ah.
1: A large part of the German reserve have now been drawn in and it's essential to keep up the pressure and wear out the defence. It's also necessary to secure as early as possible all important tactical points still in the possession uh, position of the Germans in their front line system and intermediate line with a view to an ultimate attack on the German second line.
3: Oh, that sounds remarkably easy. Uh,
1: yeah now what what's ha- that Haig has a different perception, and this is quite interesting because i I think this is one of Haig's greatest mistakes what happens next uh but Haig is often complimented by historians who often don't like him for 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 he wants to push on the south he wants to build on the successes all, already achieved now this this is interesting um because this infuriates the French uh uh, and it, in particular, Joff, the French commander in chief. Now, you're going to be General Sir Douglas Haig, and, and you're going to put Haig's perception of what Joff says. And it's quite interesting because I think Haig, if you listen to it, I think Haig's away with the fairies here is wrong.
3: Joff began by pointing out the importance of our getting to the Val Hill. To this, I said that in view of the progress made on my right near Montauban and the demoralised nature of the enemy's troops in that area, I was considering the desirability of pressing my attack on Longeval. I was therefore anxious to know whether in the, that event the French would attack Goulemont. At this, General Droff exploded in a fit of rage. He could not approve of it. He ordered me to attack Thiepval and Podsier, If I attacked Longueville, I would be beaten, etc., etc. I waited calmly till he had finished, his breast heaved, and his face flushed. The truth is, the poor man cannot argue, nor can he easily read a map. When Joffre got out of breath, I quietly explained what my position is as regards him as the Generalissimo. I am solely responsible to the British government for the action of the British army, And I had approved the plan and must modify it to suit the changing situation as the fight progresses. I was most polite.
1: Now, this is interesting because uh, I think the person who can't read the map in this occasion is Haig. Haig is not an experienced commander. He'd only been promoted in December. This is his first real battle at this level. Joff, I think, can read a map. And the, he he Joff is in alignment with the Germans, isn't he? The yeah, Schorpunkt. Yeah. Yeah, now in the
3: end, Haig overrules Rawlinson, and he and he's going to brave Joff's wrath. They would attack in the south with the intention of securing a position from which the next main thrust would crash through the German second line, which stretched along the Longeville to Bazentin-le-Petit ridge.
1: So that's a German second line system. Yes, well, no, system. we have to keep saying it's system. It's clear because there's two or three lines in each in each system. Now there's also going to be a diversionary attack at Tietval on the third of uh, July, and they were going to maintain a sort of a, a overall aggressive posture north of the Albert Bapaume Road. Um, and this was they were hoping this would deflect the German attention to the north, which of course they were watching most closely of all. To, away from the real targets uh, in the south, which would be assaulted when Rawlinson was ready. Um, What what state do you think the German second-line system was
3: in? In essence, the German second-line system remained intact. The British field artillery... Would have to be moved well forward if they were to be able to have the range uh, to deluge these new types. And we talked about this. They're, they're a couple of thousand yards behind our line, so they'd have to be moved very far forward to reach the German second line. Uh, now, this this was a time consuming and difficult process, as all the guns would have to be re registered on their likely targets from the new observation posts.
1: Now. So what's happening is there's a series of piecemeal attacks launched from 7th of July on Villers, Cantormais and Mamets Wood. Uh, What are these attacks designed for? What is the idea, Gary? Well, the
3: idea is that that you maintain the pressure on the Germans and and also to get better jumping off positions and secure the flanks before the next concerted big effort uh, to break... uh,
1: well, to break through the German, to break second, through the German line, second
3: line. the German second line. Now, this is in the sector between uh, Bazantin Le Petit and Longueval.
1: Now, these these are, uh, are they coordinated, carefully coordinated? No, they're they're, they're mass planned t-
3: in isolation and they prove to be a disaster. Why? Well, it, as each attack fails, so another one is ordered, then another, another, and another. Now, the commanders seem to have become totally fixated with the objectives. Uh, a, a sort of tunnel vision that fails to look around them, and they don't pause, not even for a moment's reflection as to what they're doing or indeed
1: how. And this is basically unfocused attacks launched by small groups of troops, often against powerful trench works. They've got varying start times, they're not coordinated. And what's the end result? You get an individual British battalion left in no man's land, being battered to buggery by German firepower, the machine guns, the artillery batteries. And they're being fired at, not only from the front, but because it's an, an isolated attack. We've talked about this before. They're getting fired at from the German guns on the flanks. Uh, it's not good Uh, what's the end result
3: well of course it's mounting losses that are not this time it's not the 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 stunning single blow as was suffered on the 1st of July but it but it's but it's incremental it's a drain that over days adds up to serious losses that approach some 25,000 casualties in just under listen to this 50 separate attacks
1: now th- this is this is this is not good. Uh uh Rawlinson lacks grip at this stage. Uh he doesn't grip things. He doesn't get things organized. Uh luckily he is doing something that's good. What is that?
3: Well at the same time he's making plans for the new attack uh on the 14th of July. That's that's as well conceived as the so-called preparatory attacks that led up to it were monstrously foolish. They were foolish. Uh,
1: now What's his first, The first emphasis he's, Roll, uh, Rawlinson's got is an adequate artillery bombardment. And they amass some thousand guns, of which 311, Gary, 311 are the all-important heavy, medium and heavy artillery. This is important because they've got the range. Isn't now that's
3: it? less than they had, didn't they, on the the uh, bombardment prior to the 1st of July?
1: Oh, yeah, it's, uh, but it's uh, instead of attacking on a front of 22,000 yards uh, uh, and trying to deal with multiple defence lines they're now attacking a front of just 6,000 yards so one quarter or one third depending on your maths Uh, and and the Germans haven't quite got quite as many lines behind it because of course this is their second line system there's only one system behind it Um, so so it's not as complicated is it Uh, the, 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 the trench lines aren't quite as strong um, what what are the overall calculations? I'll leave the calculations to you, uh, as because uh, maths isn't my strong point. Um.
3: Uh, yeah, it's been calculated that sixty six percent of the original guns available would be firing on just below five percent of the original total of targets so you've got some half a million shells that are going to be fired over the three-day preliminary bombardment
1: wow now, now that is that is a different scale and we're starting to get the big bombardments coming aren't we um now there's another problem that Rawlinson
3: boldly addresses
1: this is really bold what's that
3: well, the, the uh, both Rawlinson and his planning staff uh, realise that it's clear that the attacking troops are going to be facing a no man's land that stretches uphill over one thousand five hundred yards in front of them. That's huge. So what's he do?
1: What's well, it, he, what can what, what kind he? Of, how can you
3: overcome that problem? Sap forward, or well, this is quite clever, really, for the time. He he proposes that a night attack would allow the attacking battalions to edge forward under the cover of darkness, to take up a position on carefully laid white marker tapes so that they're ready to launch an attack at dawn from right under the Germans' noses. Now, (laughs) yeah, it's an audacious plan, but it, it requires careful planning well, they've got
1: they've, they've got to know the ground. haven't Yeah, they?
3: yeah, no, they've got to have exact reconnaissance of the ground and a skillful execution by the attacking. So strength. they're
1: trusting the infantry now. Something they hadn't really done on the first of July, but they're trusting the new armies.
3: Yeah, and there's clearly very little room for error, and uh, disaster would be likely if the alarms raised amongst the Germans.
1: Now, this is I, I can imagine that uh, I know someone who's going to be worried by this. Uh, I mean, he's already worried by what's going on where army uh, are doing. So Haig is worried. And on the 11th of July, he intervenes. And, and basically, he says, you can naff off. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure Haig used those very words, but it,
3: this is what he said. General Sir Douglas Haig. Our troops are not highly trained and disciplined, nor are many of the staff experienced in such work. And to move two divisions in the dark, every distance, form them up, and deliver an attack in good order, and in the right direction at dawn, as proposed, would hardly be considered possible, even in a peacetime manoeuvre. Now this is an interesting exchange,
1: because uh, uh, remember that ever since uh, Nerve Chappelle, Rawlinson, who'd behaved badly, uh, you have to listen to our podcast to hear well, he'd not behaved well afterwards, and he was sort of he could have been sacked for uh, for trying to trash a subordinate so when it was his fault, something that went wrong. Um, and, and he normally kowtows to Haig, but he doesn't this time, does he? he what does he do?
3: Well, he engages, uh, he protests most vigorously, and he engages in a direct dispute with Haig to retain his original concept of a night attack.
1: Now, I think this is interesting because Haig... It's to his credit, isn't it? I mean, we've we've looked at uh, uh, the, in view of. I think his tactics are probably wrong in this battle, but about the direction. But he does think about what's going on. He he reconsiders the idea of a night attack, and he sends things which, to me, show show what a clear thinker Haig was. What does what does Haig say?
3: I put four questions to the general staff. Can we take the position in the manner proposed? Can we hold it after capture? What will be the resulting case of a failure? What are the advantages, or otherwise, of proceeding methodically, viz extending our front and sapping forward to take the position by assault? They all agreed that Rawlinson's new plan materially altered the chances of success, and there seemed a fair chance now of succeeding. The disadvantage of the deliberate method at once is that we must hilt the German troops in our front. If the attack was allowed to die down, they might continue the attacks at Verdun or elsewhere. The news this morning shows the Germans again attacking at Verdun. Also, to encourage the French, we must keep on being active. They wanted the French. That's interesting,
1: isn't it? You pointed this out before. They want the French, they they want to encourage them, not only about Verdun, but also they want them to renew the attacks vigorously uh, to, to the south of the Somme. Uh, the French Somme offensives, of course. Now, so so, so Hague is fundamentally uh, given permission. He well, he's persuaded,
3: isn't he? He is. So and that, that's good. No, no, it is good. It, it shows flexibility. It, it shows flexibility and it shows understanding of what the commander is actually responsible for. So it was agreed that there would be a combined attack by the 15th, that's the uh, uh, 21st and 7th Division, and the thirteenth corps, which is the third, ninth, and eighteenth divisions.
1: Any, any, uh, any cavalry?
3: Yeah, the second Indian cavalry division was earmarked to exploit any breakthrough by swarp- swooping. swooping or swarping, <laughs> no, swapping swooping. Yeah, uh, Indian Swooping forward on uh, on Highwood and then onto the village of Fleurs. Now that that's quite sensible, really. We have discussed it before. What other option has he got for exploiting uh, any any successes quickly?
1: Uh and, uh and it's all based as usual on the artillery uh and and we we mentioned the 3 day bombardment uh now, so, so the field batteries, uh, what, what are they tasked with? They're in?
3: tasked to cut the German barbed wire well before the attack and to that end sent observers into no man's land where they sort of edged as close as they were uh, physically able to to ensure that there's no mistake. So,
1: so they could see whether the wire was cut or not. And this is because uh, in places on the first day, of ge- the, the, the wire wasn't properly cut. Uh, no. And they, they want to make sure. That's, that's learning from... Uh, now, at uh, the
3: same time, the heavier guns and howitzers, they're pounding all the identified German strongpoints.
1: Now, as we said, they they're, uh, they're gonna, uh, they going want the maximum possible surprise, so they, they're going to form up in no man's land, the infantry, and then only unleash a hurricane bombardment in the brief five minutes, Gary, five minutes, that's all, before the moment of the assault. Um, so uh, the infantry, they line up on their tapes, and they're deep in no man's land. They're, they're in no man's land. They're, they're no cover. What's protecting them?
3: Well, the only protection they've got is the darkness and their own uh, disciplined silence. So
1: we might not have been good at this. We
3: would have been terrible Dary, at
1: this. Gary, what's happening? Where am I? <laughs> Shh!
3: Now, the men themselves, crawling forward, they're totally aware of the risks they're being ordered to take. They must have been. I mean, they must have been shitting themselves. They knew what had happened if something went wrong.
1: Now, the barrage, that starts at uh, 3.20 in the morning. Uh, it bursts out... Uh, and it's 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 only five minutes, but you know, what a five minutes! Um, the, the, the,
3: what Janet it, says.
1: Five minutes. All right, <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> but what a one and a half minutes, Gary! Uh, it's it, it's everything the original bomb was meant to be, but wasn't. it, it, it it's 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 the, it's the essence of destruction, isn't it? And uh, I'm going to be Major Neil. Fraser Teitler of D-Battery, 149th Brigade Royal Field Artillery. The whole world broke into gunfire. It was a stupendous spectacle. The darkness lit by thousands of gun flashes. The flicker of countless bursting shells along the northern skyline. Followed a few minutes later by a succession of frantic SOS rockets and the glare of burning Hun ammunition dumps. Wow, 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 wow. Now, um, so what are the infantry doing during this last five minutes? Well, so? under
3: the, uh, the the bursting shells, they're edging still closer to the German line. They're, they're intent on giving the survivors absolutely no chance of recovery when the barrage lifts.
1: Now, I'm quite interested. Uh, in, on the 1st of July, there were... A, a few uh, illustrations of the creeping barrage we got what well, how's it how are we moving forward is there going to be a creeping barrage i know they're not far away but are they going to use a creeping barrage here
3: yeah i mean it's once more left to the discretion of the attacking divisions there there was overall much greater emphasis on creating a genuine creeping barrage moving in lethal synchronicity just in front of the attacking infantry lifting some 50 yards in range every one and a half minutes to try and keep pace with their advance
1: and and the infantry are going to keep as close to the, the the rear of these bursting shells as possible so what's the result what is it what what happens how does it go
3: well it goes really well i mean you you would describe it as a stunning success at 3:25 uh, in the morning the assaulting infantry pressed forward on the very hills of the line of bursting shells and they crashed into the remnants of the german and front What's line. there? What's what's happening? Well they found little but the the dead and the dying frankly Pete. Not much opposition. Though. No in many sectors there was almost no serious opposition. Why not? Well there's no one left to oppose them. Uh there were there were no trenches left worthy of the name and the Germans had simply swept being swept away in the tide of bursting shells
1: now uh, on the ninth division front we're, we're, we're only going to look at a couple of examples but the ninth division uh it's nice to uh, I, I, I i always remember buying their divisional history very lovely mm-hmm. di- divisional history uh, and the scots burst through the front line they got they vault across two ah, with their kilts flying across <laughs> two more trench lines uh, and uh just behind this barrage of shells, there's still pockets of resistance. Uh, they've got to break them down. And the 9th Scottish Rifles, a fine body of men, um, gets into some bitter hand-to-hand fighting as they attack something called the Longueval Redoubt. Now, you're going to be Private Barney Down. It's quite an unusual it's name. It's an unusual name for a Scotsman. It is. 9th uh, Cameronian Scottish Rifles. Uh, what's he
3: say? A German fired point-blank at me, and I thought he'd blown part of my face off. The pain was so intense. But instinctively lowering my rifle like a pistol, I blew the top of his head off as he came up at me. My reaction to this being, gosh, just like lifting the lid off a boiling pot. We decided to winkle Jerry out from our end by lobbying bombs over the traverses and under cover of the explosion, dashed round the traverse to put into the bayonet.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. to get started visit plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss
3: rushing round into one of the bays there was a rather undersized black visaged private of the bavarian regiment crouched on the fire step and as i lifted the stick bomb to club him the army lifted up in defense of the blow was just a gory mess
1: Now, uh, it sounds as if there's not much resistance, but uh, Downs is hit, isn't he? He's hit by a a, a bullet. He gets sniped, doesn't he, I think?
3: Yeah, he goes on to say, the increasing daylight showing corn growing in the fields with trees no longer defoliated with the recurrent blasts of war. While enjoying this rustic scene in the morning sunlight, I was caught off guard when a sniper who had crept back to our new position shot me point-blank through the chest. The impact was frightful and the pain terrific as the thrust of the bullet leaving me pitched me forward. The bullet went right through my right lung, just missing my spine. I started losing consciousness as the severe haemorrhage drained the lifeblood from a chilled body, warming only when the flow of blood streamed down my back. As the stretcher bearer carried me away, I was told that the sniper had been winkled out and left as full of holes as a pepper pot. Oh,
1: that's poor sod. That's <laughs> the end of his war, from the sound of it. Both Barney and the poor German sniper. Now, um, this, this fighting, where where it flares up in these inst- instances, it's pretty highly pressurised. And, and there's some inexperienced troops out. I mean, the South African Brigade are, are new to it. And there's a lovely quote. Uh, uh, they, they're pushing forward, they run into... The, the resistance stiffens, stiffened. and you're going to be Private Sidney Carey of the 1st South African Infantry Regiment. No, I'm not. Oh, well, now I want to be him. Can I be him? You can be him. Yeah, I, I notice it says me right next to him. <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh, professionalism... Wherefore art thou, professionalism?
3: So you're going to be Private Sidney Carey, 1st South African Infantry Regiment.
1: While going up to Longerville, my friend next to me said, Man, but there's a lot of damn bees around here. I said, Bees be blowed! Those are bullets flying around. Unfortunately, about four minutes afterwards, a bullet caught him and killed him right out.
3: Now, the pace of the 9th Division advance slows to a crawl as they fight their way slowly through Longerville. And finally, they're washed up against the fringes of Delville Wood and the German strong point at the uh, Waterlock Farm sugar refinery. I right? hope
1: the South Africans, uh, who are part of 9th Division, I hope they don't have to do any fighting in Delville Wood. That would be horrible for them. Uh, we'll find out in a subsequent episode. Now, um, the German, as they push deeper into the second line system and through the, 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 the German opposition Stiffens. Uh, what happens when German opposition stiffens?
3: Well, casualties uh, obviously go up and uh, it's uh, inexorably mounting. Ooh. You just wanted me to say the word inexorably, I didn't did. you?
1: And uh, the advance. It's it, finally well, it's, halted. It stops, doesn't it? Uh, now, on their left, the 3rd Division, they've, they've got a lot more problems with uncut wire because despite vast efforts, people say, well, why didn't they make sure it was cut? Well, you try your best to get it cut, but sometimes. There's some left. But they managed to get forward towards the main Byzantine Ridge.
3: Now, the old German second line was breached... And the overrun as they swarm forwards. Now, in the excitement and traum- traumas of mopping up the uh, the nobler virtues of war, uh, they're sometimes not observed. And you're going to read a quote from Sapper John Cordy of the 56th Field Company Royal Engineers
1: Dead and wounded were lying all around. One of our infantrymen was kicking a wounded German, crying out, You may be the bastard that killed my brother. And that seems funny, but it's also nasty uh, in
3: a way. On the other hand,
1: the tensions, the stress—it's—it's it, it, a—it's
3: a terrible business, isn't it? And very human. You can understand why somebody would say that. Now the troops push forward and they begin struggling their way through the village of Bazentin le Grand. So that's bigger than now. Little.
1: What do they need as they start to advance deeper and deeper? Um, oh, it's
3: crucial that they get artillery support in attacking the deeper objectives. Where the preliminary bombardment, obviously, neither so heavy nor accurate
1: no because of course it, it's starting to be the, the third line of the second line system yeah. is, is going to be not so well thing well covered it's, with a bombardment it's further away. so uh the, so there's a they have to get the forward observation post forward uh and they need to have a good view over the new german front line if you, uh, and, and 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 then they've got to communicate with the batteries which means i presume they have to leave what are they how are they going to communicate
3: well, it, it's it's by telephone, and in many cases, the telephone wires had not yet been laid. But even where they were, they did not st- stay intact for long under the German barrel. They get blown up. They get blown up. So the artillery observation works an extremely dangerous task, for if the Germans sighted them, then they're going to be a prime target.
1: Well, if you see an observation post, you're going to try and take it out, because you know what they're doing. Now, you're going to be signal, oh, well, I see you're a bit posh in this one. I, I couldn't find this bloke's name. Signaler FJG Gambling of B Battery, 97th Brigade Royal Field Artillery.
3: During the afternoon, our artillery concentrated their fire upon Byzantine Le Petit and Shelter Wood. This wood is, or rather was, situated upon a slope, and at the top, in a small clearing, there stood a crucifix made of wood. As our position was close by, we used this place to signal from, with flags. It was also not very far from the first-line trenches and could be plainly seen from the German lines. We were busy signalling from this spot when Fritz caught sight of us and of course put one of his guns on us. The first shell dropped just in the rear and then he got the range all right for he absolutely levelled the ground or rather made holes in it smashing the crucifix to smithereens and turning the trees round about into sawdust. As for ourselves, we dived at once for the nearest shelter we could find. Some of us were lucky enough to get there, but two of the chaps were not. One of them was blown to smithereens, and the other's head was completely cut off. That finished our signalling there for that day. The body of the one chap, and the few pieces we could find of the other, were buried where they fell.
1: Very matter-of-fact. That's horrible.
3: Now, in one sense, they've been a
1: bit unlucky, the British, uh, because they made this brilliant attack, uh, and they seem to have timed it well, but for one tiny thing um they, they'd expected local counterattacks but it, 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 the attack coincided with the arrival in the battle area of uh, the relief division so the sort of two they're, they're, they're in the middle of a relief of the german divisions so they end up having the best part of two of them there which is a bit unfortunate um and and so these uh troops they, they haven't been in the bombardments that they launch quite vigorous counterattacks don't they uh hammering where, where well they? they
3: hammer time and time again against the village's uh, Bazantine le petit and Bazantine le grande,
1: and that pretty well stops any further forward movement. Uh, and because uh, the troops on Byzantine Ridge, it's just trying to hold what they've got. Uh, yeah, it's and, all, and always it's, the same with the Germans: a counterattack. They
3: counterattack, and and as the infantry begin to run out of steam, this, this if any was the moment at which the mobile power of the cavalry should have been swiftly deployed to push through the infantry to exploit the German confusion. If there was
1: German confusion as well. It's, yes, I see what you mean. Now, um, so once Delville Wood and besentin Le Petit were captured, they, they, they were to deploy forward to, to take the high wood before advance to capture flares and Oco Labe. Now, that's a theory, but that's not going to happen. Uh, because what happens to the cavalry? Well, First, the cavalry... They've, they've got to get forward. How do they get forward
3: across that battlefield? Well, they find it almost impossible to get across the broken ground. And, and most were stymied well before the new front line. Indeed, so, by the early evening, of, uh, only the 7th Dragoon guards and 20th Deccan horse managed to make their way forwards onto the high ground that stretched between Delverwood and Highwood.
1: Now, I'm going to be signaller Leonard Ownsworth. Uh, of the 124th heavy battery Royal Garrison Artillery. Big bangy things, Gary. Big bangy things. And he says this. A Moraine Solnia kept diving down on, on onto the corner of the field on our left front. I saw the Deccan horse, and this plane was diving down and up again. Suddenly the officer of the cavalry cottoned on. He stood up in his stirrup, stirrups, waved his sword above his head, and just charged across that field like a bat out of hell. They made a pincer movement and encircled them. It was all over in a matter of seconds. The next thing we saw was 34 jerry prisoners, some with heavy machine guns. They were waiting while the cavalry got a bit nearer. My God, they'd have slaughtered them. The plane was trying to draw their attention, just diving down on top. I suppose it distracted these machine gunners as well.
3: Now, as they moved forward, other German machine gunners forced them to the ground. The cavalry, ah, yeah. yeah. And they, they took up a dismounted line stretching from Longueville to the southern corner of High Wood. By the oh. early evening, sufficient infantry reserves had arrived to allow a partial resumption of their advance, and elements of the 7th and 33rd Divisions managed to gain a fairly solid foothold on High Wood. What, a foothold? They don't capture it, they, they get don't. a foothold in it.
1: Now, uh, people sometimes suggest that... Rawls was a bit slow, uh, that he shouldn't have waited for the cavalry because they don't do anything, that the infantry should have got their finger out and, and gone earlier. Uh, taken Highwood. wood, they, they, they imply it was almost empty, but... The Royal Flying Corps, after all, they'd said uh, that the wood was uh, completely free of Germans in the afternoon. Well, what would you say to my uh, suppositions here?
3: Well, for one, it ignores the difficulty experienced along most of the new line as it was holding back the German other words, no, They are
1: in enough trouble.
3: Yeah, and the, the second thing I'd say is whatever the RFC observers might have thought they'd seen... They Couldn't penetrate the inner fastness of that wood, they couldn't see whether there were Germans there or not. And in fact, the Germans were there and in some strength,
1: so the, 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 yeah, well, because you can't see tree things, they're in the way, yeah. Um, now, uh, that, that, we've got to switch attention now to something that's actually going on at the same time, so but it is easier to dealt with separately. It's a separate tussle, isn't it? Um now, that they decided that they had to take Trone's Wood, and they'd been trying to take Trone's Wood in these preliminary attacks, you know, before the main attack. Um, it, it stuck right into the side of, of the intended attack on Bresenton uh, Ridge, and it, it looked like it would offer, well, flanking fire. that would,
3: That's from the right, isn't it? Yeah. So that's on the right.
1: That might cost thousands of lives if it was still occupied by the Germans with machine guns in there. So, uh, however... Night falls uh, on 13th of July, the day before, and it's still main, most of it's still held by the Germans. Um, And time's all but run out, so Rawlinson orders a last desperate effort, and he chooses 54th Brigade of 18th Division to make that attack on that night, before the dawn attack. They were to advance in the dark and then seize and consolidate the whole wood and form a defensive flank along the eastern face, thus covering the advance of the 9th Division, the lads we've just been talking about. Now, uh, who's placed in charge of this? Well, Colonel Frank Maxwell. We're going to hear lots of this over the next few podcasts. Uh, he's a, a bit of a character. Um, he's immune to fear, fear, as far as we can see. Uh, and uh, there's this is a lovely quote which has so many different weenie- meanings that uh, I'm not even going to th- allow any. I don't want any of you to think what else it might mean.
3: This is Lieutenant Colonel Frank Maxwell VC VC of, of the 12th Middlesex Regiment writing home to his uh, to his wife. He says, "A man may be squandered over me without any more feeling about it than being sorry for his poor mother or wife." I mean, of course, that it does not incapacitate my system in the least.
1: He really is uh, um, just a different type of person. Uh, I, he's quite a likeable character in some ways, but also you wouldn't want to get the wrong side of him, definitely not. It's not a normal reaction, is it? No, it's
3: not, and, and it's little mean, wonder that...
1: He means if someone splattered all yeah, no, over him. Yeah, I know
3: exactly what he means. Um Uh, But it's little wonder that many of his men had difficulty living up to his standards of conduct during battle situations, is it? I mean, Maxwell's a hero. He'd already won a Victoria Cross and he was simply not as other men. Was he like
1: you? No. (laughs) Uh,
3: Well, he was in that he set a standard they could perhaps aspire to, but with little hope of success. You look at me in that way, don't
1: you? I do look at you in that way. I think if only I could be like Gary. Um, anyway, now he's he, he, he's he's an experienced officer he, he, uh, and he reviews the He's got to take Troneswood, a night attack. So what does he... he th- he's thinking about it that night. What, do, what, what
3: happens? From 11pm onwards, kept busy for an attack on the Troneswood, which had been taken, more or less, lost and retaken about three or four times. Finally, it had to be taken and kept at all costs. The North Ants and my regiment under myself, were ordered to do it. Not a pleasant or easy job to take on and be warned off for at 2am to get across the open before daylight to the edge of the wood or be Maxim gunned out of existence.
1: And uh, the short notes, it it looks pretty hopeless and it's terrible organisational problems getting his battalion, the North Ants, there as well. Uh, his unit wasn't expecting to be ordered for. They were scattered about. They were in the wrong place. There was various conflicting orders. This is what happens if you change plans. But people always say, how do you change your plans? Well, if you change your plans, some people get the uh, new orders and some people have the old orders. There's all sorts going wrong. Uh, what, what does he end up with?
3: Well, he, he ends up with uh, own uh, two Middlesex companies ready in the right place at the right time. And, and he's forced to send the 6th North fence in 1st. Now in the event they're delayed Everybody's delayed. Yeah, everybody's delayed to such an extent that they were attacking at roughly the same time as the main assault.
1: But still providing some cover because people won't be shooting off to the flank if they're attacking you know, they're not that self sacrificial. So now so what happens first? The North Ants attack first and they disappear into this wood, and it still is a wood. What well, does Maxwell say?
3: Maxwell says We're crossed. Just as dawn was breaking, the half-mile of open ground to the wood, passing through a very thick enemy barrage of shell. The edge of the wood we were aiming for was held by a battalion that had managed to stay in at the last attack. We got over wonderfully well, and only one or two parties were blown away, which was wonderful. Men were very good and steady. On arrival at wood, my orders were for the battalion to halt at the edge and reform but the CO got muddled and didn't do this, and consequently hadn't a dog's chance of doing anything, except be killed just in the same way that other regiments had been for the same fault. Fortunately, I stopped mine inside and kept them in hand, then waited for reports to come back from the North ends. None came, nor could come, as they were soon lost and broken up into small bodies playing just the same game the Germans like, for it let them fire at them from sideways and behind.
1: Now, Maxwell is realising things are going wrong, uh, and and he goes forward into the wood himself to see what he can do, and he he sees that this is going to be a bloody bastard of a problem. There's no two ways about it. It's going to be difficult. Um, So what what does Maxwell say?
3: To talk of a wood is to talk rot. "'It was the most dreadful tangle of dense trees and undergrowth imaginable, "'with deep, yawning, broken trenches criss-crossing about it. "'Every tree broken off at top or bottom and branches cut away, "'so that the floor of the wood was almost an impenetrable tangle of timber, "'branches, undergrowth, etc., "'blown to pieces by British and German heavy guns for a week. "'Never was anything so perfectly dreadful to look at. "'At least I couldn't dream of anything worse.' particularly with its dreadful addiction of corpses and wounded men, many lying there for days and days. So dense is the tangle that even if one finds a man, gets someone to bandage him, and then leaves him, you've lost him, probably, simply because you can't find your way back to him.
1: Wow, I think uh, I think addiction is uh, my mistake in the thing. I think that must be addiction.
3: Uh, or addiction. Uh, could it? It could be addiction, I think.
1: Hmm. I'll have to look up the original quote. I'm just worried I've misled you there. But uh, anyway, it, 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 it's a fantastic quote for him. Uh, now, the North Ants, they've been smashed. Uh, so 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 Maxwell thinks of his own method of dealing with the problems of fighting in that awful wood. That Well, wood, it's still a wood, but it's tangled, it's smashed, it's broken, it's almost impossible. And he comes up with a, an unbelievable idea, which uh, many modern commentators might laugh at. What was his idea?
3: Well, it's based on the the hunting, shooting and fishing mentality of the old style regular officers that filled the old pre-war regular army. But in these circumstances, that kind of experience seems completely relevant to Maxwell. He'd form a single line and he would beat the woods from end to end as if he were flushing out pheasants for a shooting party. Which is the background he comes from. Exactly. Now, this is what he says about it. I formed a line with fragments of the North Ants and two companies of my own, with a job lot of about five very young officers, all the rest being hors de combat. combat. After infinite difficulty, I got it shaped in the right direction, and then began the advance, very, very slowly. Men nearly all very much shaken by the clamour and din of shell fire and nervy and jumpy about advancing in such a tangle of debris and branches. "'I had meant only to organise and start the line, and then get back to my loathsome ditch, back near the edge of the wood, where we had entered, so as to be in communication by runners with the brigade and the world outside. "'It is a fundamental principle that commanders of any force should not play about but keep in touch with the higher authorities behind.' But though an old enough soldier to realise this, and the wrath of my seniors for disregarding it, I immediately found that without me being there, the thing would collapse in a few minutes. Sounds vain, perhaps, but there is nothing of vanity about it, really. So off I went with the line, leading it, pulling it on, keeping its direction, keeping it from its hopeless and humanly natural desire to get into single file behind me. Instead of a long That's what I line... instead of a long line either side soon i made them advance with fixed bayonets and ordered them to fire ahead of them into the tangle all the way this was a good move and gave them confidence confidence and so we went on with constant halts to adjust the line after slow progress in this way my left came on a hornet's nest and i halted the line and went for it with the left portion A curtain may be drawn over this, and all that need be said was that many Germans ceased to live, and we took a machine gun. Then on again, and then began what I hoped for. The Germans couldn't face a long line, offering no scattered groups to be killed. They began to bolt, first back, then, as the wood became narrow, they bolted out to the sides, and with rifle and automatic guns, we slew them. Right up to the very top this went on, and I could have had a much bigger bag, except that I did not want to show my people out of the wood too much for fear of letting the German artillery know how we had progressed, and so I enabled them to plaster the wood paré with our advance. So far, they had only laid it on thick, strong and deadly in the belt we had left behind, and finally the job was done, and I was thankful for I thought we should never get through it. Now they've they, they
1: done really. I think they've done brilliantly, haven't they? They've they they've uh, taken uh, Trance wood. And they had been successful in preventing the German garrison from firing into the exposed, open flank of the 9th Division. Well, we we've dealt, we dealt with the 9th Division's attack, and it was successful. So this is a a, a good operation. They've done well, haven't they? Uh, they had.
3: Now, the aftermath of the fight in that day was truly ghastly to behold. And Signal Leonard Elmsworth, for one, could barely believe his eyes when a day later he was sent across into what remained of the wood. And you're going to be signaller Leonard Owensworth of 124th Heavy Battery uh, Royal Garrison Artillery.
1: Well, good God, there was no trees intact at all. Just stumps, treetops and barbed wire all mixed up together. Bodies all over the place. Jerry's and ours. Robins. That's his mate. He pulled some undergrowth up, and there was a dead Jerry shot away right up to his hip. All his guts were out, and flies on him. He just had to step back, and this leg up in the tree became dislodged and fell across him on his head. Good Lord! He vomited on the spot. Terrible. Uh, that that gives you quite an idea. It's quite graphic. That was from Oral History. I remember that's an interview the War Museum did in the seventies. Uh, I think can't remember which interview I did it, but uh, you can imagine sitting across from a bloke telling you that's that.
3: That's awful. It does sound terrible. Now, overall, the attack on the 14th July, which was known subsequently as the Battle of Bazantine Ridge, it's uh, undoubtedly been a success in its declared intention of capturing the German former second line.
1: All that Second line system, all of it. So all, they've taken it. That
3: yeah, wasn't. but for all this tactical success, it remained true that the Fourth Army had emphatically not succeeded in achieving the true breakthrough that might have beckoned towards a strategic they, 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 Yeah, you're
1: right, because they're just, they're just catching up. They still haven't taken the original objectives, even in the South where they were successful. They haven't taken the original objectives for the 1st of July, have they?
3: No. No, but nevertheless, some real hope exists of an accelerated British advance in the weeks that would follow, and uh, in late July and early August. So, well, they're, they're, the German defences are steadily weakening. As they stand, you know they they struggled to recreate just a few days from scratch to the ground the fortress lines that had served them so well on the so now line.
1: now the first line that their front line system is now what was the third line the, yes. the, the third line system so what's first will be last and or whatever so now they've got to de- they've got to make two more systems behind that
3: yeah and now the British they're standing on Byzantine Ridge and uh, the French army would. Uh, at last, rejoin the attack north of uh, on the Somme.
1: They've had a bit of a, a lie down and think about things, haven't they? Uh, yeah, they, they did well on the first of July, but they, they've not been as active. Um, so, uh, so, well, I've, this is filling me with optimism now. You've, you've 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 persuaded me, Gary. If the British keep their nerve, if the French join them in, and if they all push forward together, surely victory will be theirs. Or would it? Well, we'll find out, won't we? We'll we find out. Uh, we'll be back to join them uh, in, uh, in something called uh, Summer Madness. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Thanks for your assistance and help.
3: Thanks, Pete. Cheers.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.